Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis family. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Um, There is a word in the text that I had to look up, and as a teacher, I'm compelled to share that meaning with you in advance. So a phylactery is a small leather box that's worn by Jewish men at morning prayer. It contains Hebrew texts and is a reminder to keep the law. Women, however, did not wear them. They didn't need to wear them. They didn't need a reminder, just so you know. All right. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Rajan. Thanks, Rajan. Thanks for that beautiful uh, description of what a phylactery is. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, Denise from Arizona. Hi, Denise. That's so fun. I have it on gallery view, so I'm looking around and uh, I'm seeing all your, your faces and oh, it's so great. It's so great. Uh, the Kellys around their breakfast table. Hi, kids. Good to see you guys. Well, in today's scripture portion, <laughs> Jesus unloads a merciless rebuke on the scribes and Pharisees of his day. Does he not? Can I get an amen on that rebuke? Merciless might even be a kind description of what he does. Verse three, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but don't do as they do for they don't practice what they teach. (laughs) He's basically calling all of them hypocrites. Verse four, they tie up heavy burdens and they don't lift a finger to help. Ouch. Verse five, they do 
all their deeds. Now, I was taught in kindergarten, you're never supposed to say all or never, you know, always and never and all that stuff. But Jesus goes ahead. They do all their deeds. 100% of their deeds are done to be seen by others. And they love the titles that give them power and the position over others. That's my paraphrase. Verse six, they love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. So here's the I'll play question uh, that I'm going to start with. And that is this. And I hope this isn't leading. I really mean it to be an honest question. Does this sound like Jesus? Does this sound like Jesus? Oh, Bob, not really. From Stevie's iPad. <laughs> not sure who that is, but yes. Oh, I love it. Immediately we get a yes and a no. That's so good. What do you guys think? Does this sound like Jesus? Oh, it's Steve McCormick. Hi, Steve. Uh, I'd argue, yes, Danny Cook. Jesus is the ultimate truth teller. Bam. Will Lee, you can sense a little of Matthew's community of Jewish believers here. Mm-hmm. Hmm. little cultural context. Love that. Uh, <laughs> Nate Banker bringing in the Enneagram if Jesus was an eight. You know, some people say that Jesus was a nine. Other people say that Jesus was a perfect representation of all the numbers. I'll let you guys have your own represent or your own opinion about that one. Gary, he's calling out people who've been in power their whole life, but he's also simplifying them down to one dimension. So yes, it does sound like Jesus. And no, it doesn't sound like Jesus. Ah, oh, so good, Gary. I love it. Uh, from Hannah, not the first time he's created a ruckus. <laughs> That's right. A couple, ch couple of chapters ago, he was knocking over the tables in the temple. I mean, he is leading up to a crescendo. Again, this is in the last week of his life. He's about to be executed. And so you might argue he's leaving nothing on the field. He's, he's, going, he's going for it, right? Dave Schlenk, hyperbole. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, yes. Oh, from, from Katie. Yes, Katie. Uh, okay, and then... Mark and Reagan, or maybe Cullen, Jesus would say, do you think it sounds like Jesus? <laughs> yes. Dave, I'm not that smart. Yes, you are. But Katie is probably smarter. I will give you that. Uh, okay. So um, most scholars that I read are uncomfortable with the tone of Matthew 23. So there you have it. Given the scathing rebuke against the religious leaders by Jesus, some scholars wonder if Jesus even said these things at all. Some scholars wonder if this is just more of a, like an interpretive, uh, like Matthew's remembering it in a certain way, maybe a little, a little more harsh than it really was said. And it sounds to me uh, like more like political smearing uh, than Jesus' typical non-dual wisdom, right? And not to put too uh, fine a point on it, but words like these could fuel anti-Semitic uh, behavior and thinking. Amen? All right. Uh, so I'm not sure what Jesus is doing here. But uh, I watched this movie. Has anyone seen the new 
the new uh, Enola Holmes movie starring Millie Bobby Brown. It's uh, Sherlock Holmes's sister. It's so good, you guys. I would say watch this movie. It is so amazing and so good. But it made me think there are some clues. Uh, okay, everyone's saying yes, 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 yes. Um, there are some clues in this text that might help us to figure out what Jesus might be doing, okay? Let's assume that Jesus did say these words, all right? Let's assume that, uh, that, that Jesus said them, okay? So uh, clue number one, I'm going to use this as an all-play question. Many times when we move into texts like this, it'll say things like, as Jesus was standing by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, or as Jesus was standing on the steps of the, of the temple, or uh, as he was in the Mount of Olives. Many, many, many times, and most times, the writer will give the location. But in this text, if you look at chapter 23, verse 1, it just says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples. So here's an all-play question. What might it mean that no location is given? What might it mean that no location is given? Hmm. What do you think? Ooh, Danny Cook, that he said it in more than one location. Delicious. I love that. What else? Okay, yes, maybe carry continuation in the same location from the from the prior story. Very possible. The editor of the text inserted this story into the narrative. Very possible, Will Lee. Uh, or Allie, he didn't say it in any location. Uh, okay, Jenny Hill, does this mean the story has a broad application to a variety of context locations? Okay, there's... I'm going to say you're all right, but as usual, Jenny might be a little more right. <laughs> now, this is just clue number one, and this is just, this is what it might mean. But it might mean, before we get all fired up against the scribes and Pharisees, that this particular scathing rebuke has a broader application to a variety of contexts and locations. You might put in, instead of scribes and Pharisees, you might put in all Bible teachers and religious scholars of all times and places, and then go for the scathing rebuke, <laughs> right? Okay, that's just a maybe, all right? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, from Steve, yeah, that hit home hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, believe me, it did for me because I am the uh, the resident biblical teacher here. So, uh, but clue number two, okay? Clue number two. Uh, right in verse one, the writer makes it clear that in the in this order that Jesus is talking to the crowds and to his disciples. So, all play question: What might we infer from that? The writer makes it clear. Matthew makes it clear in verse one that Jesus began speaking to the crowds and to his disciples, and the writer put it in that order. What might that mean? Lots of all-play questions. Rick, you got to love it. 
Okay, Bob Timperley, a message to all peoples. <laughs> yes. What else? The crowds and the disciples, all peoples. What else? What do you think? Uh, Willie, he doesn't think the scribes and Pharisees are even listening. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I mean, at this point, they've probably written him off, right? Uh, even his own followers. Yep. This is going to the scribes and Pharisees. This is going to his followers. This is going to his disciples. The people on the in group, Nate Banker, need to listen in just as much. I'm not saying it. You guys are saying it, right? So um, I'm just saying, like, it's starting to sound like what sounded initially like an echo chamber. Ooh, those bad, bad scribes and Pharisees um, is now maybe starting to sound like a message for all people in all times, including Steve Weens and Allie Lee and John Piper and Rob Bell and Jen Hatmaker and all of the above. From Allie, he's leveling the playing field. We're all students under one teacher. Uh-huh. Even the religious leaders. Uh-huh. Many times. Okay, this is from Jonah. Uh, Tamas, many times he preaches things generally and then explains this to disciples later. Yes, yes, yes. You guys are so smart and so good. Uh, clue number three. Uh, Jesus, in my opinion here, is using a form of rhetorical teaching. And we see it elsewhere in the scriptures where he starts with a rebuke of one group of people and he knows the listeners are going to get kind of whipped up into a frenzy of like, yeah, 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 those losers. Yeah, give it to him, Jesus. Give it to him. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. And then he switches. And you see right there in verse 8, you guys, you see the switch. Okay, it's just boom, tie, you know, tying up loads, boom, they're hypocrites, boom, they all they do is love titles, boom, they like the places of honor at banquets, boom, people are like picking up stones, getting ready to stone those guys. But then in verse eight, these two words, what are the two words? But you. Now, I think the you here is his disciples, it's me and you. It's Bible teachers of all time. And so before you get super, you know, fired up about your own echo chamber, your own in-group and out-group, Jesus is saying, uh, this message is for you because you have the tendency to do the same thing. Boo, home, right? And so I... I'm a writer and I love writing. And so I wrote a paraphrase of this teaching in a way that I think might make the, make the meaning hit home. Can I read it to you? Yeah. All right. Here we go. This is my paraphrase of Matthew 23, one through 12. As Jesus scanned the large crowd of people sitting before him, he lowered his eyes and gazed directly at his disciples. And he said, we all know that the law of Moses is our ultimate authority. We also know that the scribes and Pharisees stand in authority over us. So you should follow their teaching. 
out of respect for Moses. Suddenly Jesus laughed. <laughs> Just don't follow Moses the way they follow Moses because they're hypocrites. It's no secret they don't practice what they preach. They love to sit up in their high towers and rain down law after law, drowning us while they sit high and dry. And when they finally do descend from those high towers to be with the people, they only care about being admired. Have you seen those huge phylacteries they wear? Thank you, Rajan. Makes you wonder if they're compensating for something. They'd never waste their time attending to the real needs of real people because they're too busy attending parties and weddings and they insist on sitting near the hosts so they can look as powerful as, as possible. The only thing they love is their titles. Jesus paused to let it all sink in. His disciples were seething with righteous indignation, brimming with pride at how their leader was finally unloading on the religious leaders and their corrupt ways. But when Jesus let the pause linger a little too long, much longer than what was comfortable, the disciples started looking at each other, squirming in their seats a little bit. But you, Jesus said, pausing before proceeding, and then shifting his gaze directly to Peter. The longer he paused, the more Peter squirmed. Yes, you, my disciples, you, of course, are nothing like them. Finally, Jesus lifts his eyes from Peter and directs them to James and John instead. He lets out a small chuckle, but no one laughs along with him. None of you have ever asked me about who would sit at my right and who would sit at my left when I come into my kingdom. While everybody else is trying to maneuver so that they can be the father figure, the one who gets treated with deference in the family, I know you guys are all crystal clear that, the, that we only treat our father in heaven with that kind of deference. None of you care about titles. None of you care about being great. You don't waste any time trying to climb any ivory towers because you know how empty they are. You know the only way to be lifted up is to stop caring about being lifted up. When Jesus stopped teaching, None of the disciples dared even to look at Jesus. So he kept right on looking at them with that undeniable smirk in his eye and grin on his face. <laughs> now that's my interpretation of what's happening. I do believe Jesus is, is rebuking the scribes and Pharisees 100%. But I do believe he's using this rhetorical device where he is whipping us up into a frenzy, thinking that he's speaking right into our echo chamber. And then he lowers the boom and says, but you. And when he gives that instruction about, you know, uh, serving all, I, I really do think um, that the disciples who are listening to it are hearing it as a critique. And I think Bible teachers like me should hear it as a critique as well. Because I'm tempted to tie up heavy burdens on people's, you know, any kind of program. Have you ever been given like a, pro, here's a program for, you know, for transforming into Christ likeness. Here's a program for losing weight the biblical way. Do you guys remember that? Like way down workshop and like Daniel plan and stuff like that. Like remember all that stuff? Like, cause if it's biblical, then it's gotta be legit. 
Uh, it's a great temptation to tie up heavy burdens. And it's a great temptation for religious leaders and Bible teachers of all times to love titles and to love places of honor. It just kind of goes with the territory. And so unless we um, forget uh, those of us who have, um, who have responsibility in this way, and that's not just Bible teachers, but anyone who would say that the Bible says this or the Bible says that. There is a critique in this text that I think we would do well to really listen to. Uh, I think the bottom line is this, is, and this is radical. Jesus is declaring that he and he alone stands in authority over the scriptures. No Bible teacher that has ever lived or will ever live has ever stood as the authoritative voice for the scriptures. Jesus alone holds that position. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And I get that right from verses 8 through 10. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. See, I think Jesus really is, and I think Ali said it earlier, he's leveling the playing field, that we're all students, ordinary apprentices of Jesus. We're learning to love God, love others, and love ourselves wholeheartedly. And if that's true, then I think I have, in closing, three observations, right? If, if, if this really is a challenge to all of us, and not just an echo chamber against the other, the, scribe, the, the evil scribes and Pharisees. Because let's, let's just be honest. Like, um, I don't even believe Jesus believed that every single one of them was corrupt, right? I mean, we see Nicodemus, uh, who ends up tending to the body of Jesus after he dies, right? I mean, so we see Pharisees in Acts joining the early church. And so clearly they weren't all corrupt. This is a, a, a form of hyperbole and it's also a form of confrontation to the rest of us. But here's the first observation. If that's really true, if Jesus really is going after all people in all times with this scathing rebuke, then observation number one is this. Those of us who are Christians ought to interpret the Bible under the authority of Jesus and his teachings through the lens of Christ. That means that when there's really weird, bizarre uh, passages of scripture that seem to contradict what Jesus is saying, that the Bible, we as Christians ought to, ought to read it through the lens of Jesus as being the highest authority. Uh, Martin Luther, of all people, and he had his, you know, good points and bad points, let's be honest. But he had this thing that, this is the Latin phrase, ergamus, Christ, ergamus Christum contra scripturum. He said, we urge Christ against scripture. Okay, so the Christ, he said, who emerges from the center of scripture may be applied to the margins of scripture. The Christ who emerges from the center of scripture ought to be applied to the margins of scripture. So, Here's an all play question. What do I mean when I say that the Bible should be interpreted under the authority of Christ? What are we saying when we say that?
Yeah, Steve, he is the word. He's the word of God. Christ is the word of God. Uh, that Jesus himself teachings hold more weight, Nate Banker. Yes, that is what that means. Bob Temperley, refer to the Sermon on the Mount as sort of the magnum opus. Yes, yes, yes. So that's observation number one. And, and we get this from elsewhere in scripture, even Colossians 1, 17, 17 through 19. He himself is before all things. This is the word, the logos, the Christ. He himself is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this is the Christ, right? The eternal Christ, the universal Christ, the Christ that really did and has existed from all time, the Christ that spoke all things into creation, as Ali uh, spoke of earlier. Um, Boyd's theory and Abby that if it doesn't point to Jesus, something else is going on. Yes, that's Greg Boyd's theory. Yes, 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 yes. Nate, if Jesus didn't teach on it, it's not a big deal. Uh, yes. Um, and that is not, and Jesus says elsewhere, um, that he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the second observation is this, um, based on this teaching, those of us who do the work of interpreting uh, the Bible and teach the Bible ought to hold our convictions with great humility so that we can serve people. That's the goal, right? It's not to lord it over people. It's not to have the right answer. It's not to impress people with the ways in which you can interpret scripture. It's to serve people and to set people free, to not load people up with burdens that they can't bear, to, to expend energy helping people, right? Uh, Matthew 23, 10 through 12, again, none of you are to be called instructors. Now, we could take that super literally and say, okay, so that means no one is ever to be called an instructor. You can be called a pastor, but not an instructor. No, that's not the point. You can go ahead and hold that title. Just remember that the, the ground is level, right? Uh, you have one instructor, the Messiah. The rest of you are apprentices. Amen? Uh, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's the greatest thing that we can do is serve others. As Kara is doing uh, on Tuesday, serving the people that are standing in lines uh, and people who are going to be so anxious and stressed out, <laughs> as she said, she's going to serve them and help them. All who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. <laughs> for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for all of us make many mistakes. But if we remember that we are apprentices and the, then it's, we're on level ground, and we hold our convictions with humility and we move toward others to serve them and help them instead of, um, instead of needing to be right or, or loving that place of honor, that's always going to be the temptation if you do any kind of leading. So don't think you can escape that. You're going to be facing, you will face that temptation. And Jesus is helping us remember that uh, he is the Lord in whom all things hold together and in through whom all things will be reconciled. I mean, it's, it's amazing and beautiful. Observation number three, we're running out of time. 
Um, and Rebecca, it's easy to even unknowingly tie heavy burdens on people when you think you're right. Yes, yes, yes. This is not like, I really believe most of us don't do this with some diabolical menacing. It, we just, all of a sudden we tie heavy burdens on because we are convinced of our rightness. And so, uh, if, and if we're wrong, um, then we, then we have to bear the weight of it ourselves and we don't want to do that. Right. And so we make other people bear the burden that we ourselves are unwilling to look at. And that burden sometimes is saying simply, I might be wrong in this. I mean, your teacher should simply say, I might be wrong in this often. Um, Jesus calls us to see the shalom of all of our sisters and brothers. Yes. It's either the well being of all of our sisters and brothers. Okay. Observation number three, uh, those of us who are deconstructing and reconstructing our faith traditions ought to refrain from demonizing those faith traditions. Let me say that again. Those of us who are deconstructing and reconstructing our faith traditions ought to refrain from demonizing those faith traditions. Now, it's easy to do. I've done it. Oh, you guys, I've done it confession just by way of show of hands how many people have demonized their faith tradition or people in it or looked back to people who are still in that faith tradition with disdain and yeah you know right now this is matthew 5 17 do not think jesus says that i've come to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them um i have come to fulfill them and only jesus can do that and when we remember that i think like if you've gone through a faith deconstruction and reconstruction, yay, I've said this often, but look at that as a graduation. Like you don't, you don't look back in your high school and say like, oh, those losers who are still learning algebra one, you know, you go, I graduated and, and they're great. And, and the people that are still there are amazing. I just, I've transcended and it's okay. You do not need to make a demon out of the faith tradition that you transcended. You can simply be grateful for it. You can differentiate from it. You can move on from it without making it the bad guy. Can I get an amen on that? And you can wrestle with that. There might be people who abused you within that. That's, that's fine. That's like holding boundaries against that hundred percent. But like the faith tradition itself doesn't need to be bad. You just graduated, and that can be a great thing. Um, yeah, Bob, no one is to be left out, including those we disagree with from our past. And we can have differences, and we can even make lines in the sand and say, like, I disagree, and therefore we probably aren't going to be in the same church even. But it doesn't mean we have to cast judgment on people and, and, and to say uh, that, you know, you are wrong forever, and, and I need to punish you forever. Right. Richard Rohr said this, and I'm going to close with this, you guys. People who know how to creatively break the rules also know why the rules were there in the first place. Richard Rohr. People who know how to creatively break the rules also know why the rules were there in the first place. So, friends, let's hold what we believe with great humility. Let's remember that we are all apprentices of Jesus doing the quiet work of 
seeing to the shalom of our brothers and sisters that we are around, we do that primarily uh, quietly, you know, without fanfare. We do that primarily just in our circle of influence and in our sphere of influence. And let's remember that we're here to serve. That's the, that's the method and mission of Jesus. We're here to serve. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have, you know, limits and you're just one big doormat. No. But it does mean we remember that the point is not to have the right theological conviction on a matter. Amen? The point is to love and to serve the people that Jesus came to love and to serve. And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ, not to tie heavy burdens. And when we do tie heavy burdens to confess and ask for forgiveness, right? This is part of why I love Jesus is that he just, the second you think he's nailing the enemy, you realize, oh no, <laughs> he's nailing me too. That's why he's not my boyfriend, you know? Like he's, he's Jesus, the savior and master of the universe. And he is the ultimate authority. And um, the more we can kind of see him as that rascal who refuses to adopt your agenda and who refuses to take sides, uh, the more we'll learn how to be those apprentices. Amen? Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like, like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.